0: could go chase medicine I love learning about the human body Mm, hey guys I was just listening to your segment uh, where Maya tells about you guys got picked up for Anchor and it's such a cool story man, I, I never heard any of your stuff on the old Anchor, you know, when it was all just waves, but I love the story, it's such a cool origin story for you guys, right, the fact that, you know, there's, there were some people who were just putting out tons and tons of content and stuff and you guys just had this one super,
1: super awesome thing that Anchor just, they had their minds blown and they said, we need to find these guys and they email you and they don't find you and then they chase you and then they find out your doctors. The awesome stuff. I'm gonna keep listening.
2: Hey, Medicine Remix.
1: Still loving your show. Had to call in. I had goosebumps listening to that segment. I haven't had goosebumps listening to a segment here on Anchor, but you guys gave it to me. The way you articulated
3: your views back and forth was unlike anything else, I think this open discussion could really take people forward. So you're doing really well. Hey,
2: Medicine Remix, I just wanna let you know, still listening, and I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. The confluence of medicine and the music Really, just makes my name. Thanks. Your station, I really appreciate what you guys do over there. Like, you do take hip-hop and you blend it with medicine. Keep doing what you guys do. D, Shades, you guys rock. Hey, what's up, Medicine Remix? Just wanted to uh,
1: shout you guys out real quick. Call in and say you guys are fucking awesome. <laughs> Hope you guys love that kind of language. You know? <laughs> awesome music every day. I appreciate the tidbits, man. Keep it up. Thank you so much.
2: I just wanted to stop by and give you a shout. Let you guys know that you guys are still my favorite paradox. Medicine remix. Damn! Yo, Medicine Remix, just shout y'all real quick, and also wanted to say, I subscribe to your IG enjoy and I think what you're saying is real real, I think what you do is really unique, man, so I just want to support it, um, it's inspiring to me to create, so keep it up, man.
1: It's been a while since I've been on Anchor, and I missed you guys like crazy, um... And naturally I come back to hear two amazing stories, just so compelling and endearing to me. I can relate to what you're saying because I have a 14 year old and 16 year old boy and a girl and I love raising them as teenagers. It's like, I feel like I'm coming into my own as a parent and it puts it into context, you know, how little time I have left with them to make an impact on their world. And so
3: I just, um I want them to hear the story, and I hope that they get the message. I know I did.
4: Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine
1: Remixed. Only on Anchor. What's really eel, Anchor Veal? It's your boy, Reesh. It's your station, Medicine Remixed. And it's been more than a minute since... I last spoke to y'all like this, you know, maybe not the last time since some of you heard me, since we've definitely been playing some segments with my voice in it, but you know, I haven't really spoken to the whole Medicine Remix fam like this in a while, you know, like the raw, uncut, unproduced without sometimes the, you know, literally bells and whistles, you know, li- like this. So I think what I'm trying to say is, what's up, people? I missed you. Happy Tuesday. Day. Hope everyone is living their truth today and every day, for that matter. And if you're not, remember, every day is another shot to remix your own damn life. Speaking of which, lots been going on. Just to let y'all know, we've been busting our ass behind the scenes to figure out ways to keep up the pace of brand new, original Medicine Remix content on the daily, while actually doctoring at the same time, you know? Been uh, doing a string of fresh new interviews for our documentaries series, which for anyone new to the show, is a Medicine Remixed content concept, which basically involves interviewing medical doctors and scientists that we think are super interesting and have a certain, you know, swag that we vibe with in some way, whether through their research, through their arts or their personality. You know, we did our first one back Last April, I believe that's right. It was on 420 with Dr. Sunil Kumar Agarwal, aka the cannabinologist, and our second episode with Dr. Catherine Coe, aka Doc Ambidexter. Both of which remain two two of our most listened-to pieces of content that we've put out. So we want to keep bringing you as many of those as we can, and in fact. The third episode is in the Medicine Remixed Lab as we speak, being dissected, mixed, and remixed, so stay tuned for that, coming to your ears really soon. Uh, I will tell you it's with one of the leading concussion researchers in the country, Dr. Jeffrey Bazarian, who was a former mentor of mine, actually, at the University of Rochester during medical school when I took a year out to get my master's in public health. And it was actually right after Dr. Bazarian got one of the first research grants from NFL charities, which was almost a decade ago now. Lots happened in football and concussion science since then. So I talked to him about everything from his very personal journey into the world of head injury research to the business that has kind of started forming around the problem of concussions. And I also asked him about the, the future of football and concussion research as he sees it. It's a fascinating interview, very timely, with the NFL approaching week three of the regular season and the publishing of some recent well-known research studies that got people to reignite the concussion conversation surrounding the future of American football. It's really a shame as a lifelong fan of football, diehard New York football Giants fan, but since my time formally studying concussions in medical school with Dr. Bazarian to closely watching the world of concussion science till now, I've been exponentially more conflicted about watching and supporting football over the past few years, and I can unequivocally say that as much as I love football, if the sport doesn't make player safety their primary concern and make strides to make the game safer, NFL will officially stand for not for long, and a football player will go down in history as an extinct species like their ancient gladiator ancestors. So next up, you're going to hear a conversation Dee and I had shortly after Hall of Fame linebacker Junior Seau tragically killed himself by shooting himself in the chest so his brain could be studied by researchers. Dee actually met Junior several times uh, since one of his best friends, Kasim Osgood played with Junior on the San Diego Chargers. Kasim has actually been on the Medicine Remix show, as longtime listeners might know. Um, and anyone who hasn't heard it, you can check that amazing episode out in the episodes tab. Shout out to him. You're listening to Medicine Remixed only on Anchor. A lot of people. Are really concerned about uh, the future of football and also football uh, as it's played today, especially at the younger levels.
0: What is your, your your take on the future of football? If you have such a powerful athlete like LeBron James saying, "I will not allow my son to play the game,"
1: it, it is troubling. It's going to continue to be, you know, really important in the world of sports. Just understanding what these injuries do to people and, yeah. um, you know, really the extent of. What those injuries can turn into. Like we've had scary, some horrible tragedies and lost some really good people yeah. in, in the past few years uh, to these type of injuries. Junior Seau. Yeah, great guy. I mean, too, man. I mean you have some personal
4: anecdotes about this guy. Yeah, I mean, one of the happiest people, man. Like I, every time I saw that guy, uh, smiling, super generous. So guy. I, how did you know him? Tell, tell so you a you good know. friend of mine played for the Chargers for seven years, um, and uh, there's a couple charity events. The first time I met him, he was a his, his his foundation and uh the, that was the first time i met him and he treated me man like family like literally from day one just one of the happiest dudes i've ever met so when he when that happened because for those of you who don't know he, he killed himself and he shot himself in the chest uh with a gun as to preserve his brain so his brain could be studied uh by that's, neuroscientists oh,
1: that just that just gave me chills when yeah, you said that that's, man
4: that's, that's, wow yeah wow i um, mean Awful, man. Awful, awful, awful. And he was, what, 40-something? Young guy, had four kids, something like that. Um, that A
1: terrifying thing, but to think that
4: even in his last moment that
1: he's thinking that, that about... That's what he thought. Like, yep. I'm going to kill myself this way, yep. just so... Because I know something's wrong with me. Yep. I'm not sure what it is, yep. and it's leading me to this, yep. but I want science and i want the medical world to study my 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 brain and understand what happened to me right after it happened the first thing that i thought of was you probably had cte which stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy basically a fancy term for someone that sustained concussions repeatedly throughout a certain period of time and uh, your brain starts creating these proteins that basically make your brain resemble the brain of an 80 year old alzheimer's patient you start getting dementia start getting a lot of mood symptoms
5: hell i don't know what i'm saying i'm just tired and confused right now that's why i say it. I, I can't really i can't say it the way i want to say it like yeah, I mean, suicidal ideation. yeah and he
4: was depressed for a while apparently you know he had been depressed uh i don't know if there's any documented uh, evidence that he had any prior suicide attempts mm-hmm. but uh yeah he was, Pretty beat up, man. Yeah, I mean, he played in the league for a long time and played at one of the most brutal positions. He was at linebackers. So. Yeah, and
1: oh. linebackers are definitely yeah. at, at most risk out yeah. of any position on the field because it's... He's running into people. Yeah, you're just running into flip, people. Man. Yeah, the
4: the idea of him shoot, uh, of Junior shooting himself in the chest to preserve his brain. Powerful, man.
2: Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Hurt <laughs>
3: your husband said the other day that you wanted him to retire he said that not me
1: you know the thing is and,
2: I have and to that retire.
3: he was going to play as long as he felt as good as he does now, now yes. are you trying to get him to retire
1: you know i just have to say as a wife I'm a little bit, you know, it's as you know, it's an aggressive sport, right? Football. Like he had a concussion last year. I mean, he has concussions pretty much. I, I mean, we don't talk about it, but he does have concussions. And it's, I don't really think it's a healthy thing for your body to go through, like a, you know, through that kind of aggression, like all the time. That could not be healthy for you, right? And I'm planning on having him be healthy and do a lot of fun things when we're like 100. I hope.
3: The NFL released a
1: statement, and, and part of it says there are no records that indicate Mr. Brady suffered a head injury or. Con- concussion or exhibited or complained of concussion symptoms. They added that they're working with the NFL Players Union to gather more information from the Patriots medical staff and Tom Brady himself. You wrote in the book that playing professional football is like getting in a car crash every Sunday. Yeah. Do you worry about
3: concussions?
4: I don't worry about them. No, I mean, I'm not oblivious to them. I mean, I understand the risks that, you know, come with The physical nature of our game.
3: But I mean, do you think
4: all the studies that have come out about concussions affects the future of the NFL? I don't know what the future is going to look like, you know, and I'm not going to pretend to predict it. And I'm going to do everything I can to take care of my body in advance of the, you know, the hits that I'm going to take on Sunday.
1: Support for today's Medicine Remix show is brought to you by Instant Success. Just add blood, sweat, and tears. Instant Success, your better tomorrow, starts today. Side effects may include not feeling sorry for yourself, putting in work, and severe gratitude. Ask your doctor if instant success is right for you. Excuses sold separately. Blood, sweat, and tears not included. Speaking of blood, sweat, and tears, back to the realness of remixing medicine only on Medicine Remixed. Dr. Bazarian. Hi, Sarish. How are you? This is so awesome. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. Sure, buddy. I know firsthand how busy you are between seeing patients, teaching residents and med students, and, you know, just being one of the leading concussion researchers in the country, no big deal, so um, I want to be super mindful of your time, and if it's cool with you, we can just get into your story and and ask some uh, questions about concussions and things like that. Sure, that sounds good. Awesome. So, you know, I was looking up your CV to to prep for this interview, and I, I noticed that the first paper you published was back in 1985 that was the year i was born in it's
0: just that right that's messed
1: the only reason that I bring that up, not a jab at all, but you just don't look even close to the age of somebody who is publishing scientific papers in 1985. So what point in your training was that? Was that medical school? Or
5: yeah, that was that was medical school. I did two two summers in a, a neurology lab in Switzerland. So that was uh, summer research. I appreciate the compliment, but if you saw me first thing in the morning, you'd say, Oh yeah, he he looks his age.
1: I woke up like this, <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, so what was your journey kind of leading up to your interest in, in head injuries, kind of how did you develop your research interest? Well, thanks for
5: asking, it's an it's a interesting question. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I mean, being a medical student at the University of Rochester, they kind of had a interest in neur- neurology and, and neuroanatomy, as you recall, mm-hmm. the, the university just does a really, really good job at, at teaching that. That's just one of its fortes. And I and I think that probably struck a cord with me when I was a med student, which is why I kind of jumped at the opportunity to do this this research in, in Switzerland with this neurologist. It was cool because I got to follow this physician on the on the wards and, and see patients, and, you know, it kind of sparked my interest in being a neurologist. I thought that's what I wanted to do, was be a, a neurologist, but, you know, when I kind of came back from Switzerland to the U.S., you know, other things happened, and I ended up doing internal medicine, but then... Working in emergency medicine and I was kind of thinking of maybe maybe I needed to do another residency in emergency medicine and right at that time my my father died of a traumatic brain injury in 1993 So I said well, this is easy I'm gonna just do research on this and figure out how to fix this problem Right. Um, and that So that kind of set me on the path. It's kind of a combo, you know, like I, I was trying to set the stage for saying I already kind of had this inclination to like things that had to do with the brain, but but I kind of lost my way in that. And then when my, I think when my father died, it kind of re, reawakened that, you know, that kind of desire for discovery uh, that, that I kind of had lost between the time I got back from Switzerland and, and when he died in
1: 93. Got it. Just kind of looking at, uh, at your timeline and, you know, the first paper that you published published on concussions, correct me if I'm wrong, was in the late 90s, like 1998. Uh, so this was like well before studying concussions was, you know, quote unquote cool, you know, uh, around the time I decided to study it like over a decade later when it, it, you know, kind of just started making like the evening news and things like that, particularly as, as it relates to to sports. How, how, did, how did that kind of uh, evolve as far as your particular interest in, in head injuries and, and the brain?
3: Oh, another
5: excellent in question. Well, so right, I I first started out studying concussions in the emergency department because that's where I was working. And there were a lot of people that come in to the ED with concussions and nobody kind of knew what to do with them. So my first study was, as you pointed out, was an epidemiology study. But then I said, oh, let's let's look at some uh, blood markers of these folks. In doing that study, though, and looking at the blood markers and looking at the epidemiology, you know, the first thing that struck me was how hard it was for me and my research assistants to figure out who had really had a concussion and who hadn't. I thought, wow, this is a fundamental problem. I mean, we got me and a research assistant and we're talking to the patient and we really can't figure out like, did they hit their head and get knocked out or were they drunk or did they just not remember? Like we we had a fundamental problem from the start that we couldn't figure out who was injured and who wasn't. You know, and the ED is a tough place to do this because people that come in are not young and healthy and, and articulate, they have other issues. They, they have drug or alcohol use, or they're demented, and so it was a really difficult environment to try to find pure concussion patients. And athletes just turned out to be a better group to work with when you're trying to answer some of these fundamental questions.
4: The documentary.
1: Documentary. Who's
2: the doctor he told you to go see? <laughs> <laughs>
5: So with athletes, you could see them before they get hurt. So you can kind of measure everything you want to, like their brain function, their brain structure, before they get hurt, you can watch them. You can actually watch them get hurt and, and measure all the events around that and be pretty sure that they got hurt because you're watching them. Then you can see the change in their brain structure and function afterwards. So it was like a almost like a lab. It was a much better population to look at to try to answer some of these fundamental questions about
1: Right. So kind of backing up a little bit, you mentioned kind of having this early team in the emergency room, like a research assistant. If you would be able to just like outline what that process was like, you know, to kind of get your foot in the door and start assembling a team to kind of help you ask some of these questions and also kind of how you started developing your methods to uh, answer and uh, measure some of these things.
5: Well, yeah, that was quite a process. The key to doing research is in an emergency department setting is to have somebody other than the principal investigator, the me person, be stationed in the, the ED for as many hours as possible because head injury patients come in at all times of the day or night, right? So you can't, the PI can't be the one to, uh, to enroll all of these subjects. It's just not practical so unlike yes unlike research is done like in the OR the clinic you kind of need a system for identifying patients in an ED setting we have that at the U of R and um, I think other centers have developed that as well we call it their research assistant program and basically their college students that we train we train them to identify patients for our particular studies so we get them all together and we train them on how do you determine the Glasgow Coma Scale score how do you determine whether someone's had a period of amnesia how do you determine what their marriage Is it good? Is it bad? So we train them. We park them in the the ED for eight-hour shifts from eight in the morning till midnight, just looking for our patients. We teach them how to send them and how to approach them. And we're always there as backup, but they're kind of the front line. And without them, we really couldn't do this kind of research in an emergency setting.
1: Right. And you know, at that time, was there anybody else that kind of served as a, a mentor to you, or was there things set in place that you could kind of draw from? Because it was super early when you were studying this like I said there weren't a whole lot of people studying concussions at the time so okay. uh, yeah
5: you're asking some great questions there there wasn't there was nobody um, in Rochester who was doing this so I reached out to two people that were that had published a lot in this area one was a guy named Jess Krauss, who is a still a pretty prominent TBI epidemiologist at UCLA I flew out there I made an appointment flew out there spent half a day with him picked his brain and I said Jess what do I need the cat to ask these patients to figure out what their epidemiology is like. And he said, Okay, here's what you need to know. And he this kind of gets at the question you asked me before. Here are the things you're gonna need to find out for them, the mechanism of injury. And I said, Well, how do I ask him that? And he told me, here's the proper way to ask about mechanism. So basically I went to an expert, somebody knew a lot more about this than me. And he was right. super, super willing to tell me anything and everything. And so he was a great resource when I started to put together protocols. You know, I would email him, you know, we had email even back then, just FYI, <laughs> that long ago. And I said, like, does this look good? Is this is this the right way to ask about retrograde amnesia and anterograde amnesia? So he was perfect for that. But then there was another group in Oxfordshire, which is a which is a county um, around Oxford, in England. They had created the first emergency department-based TBI registry. So these were neurologists. So I flew over there, and I made an appointment to talk to those guys. I said, okay, how did you set this up? You know, how did you collect the data? What'd you do with it? You know, soup to nuts. Ask, and they, of course, were very excited to be sharing this information with an American and who'd come all the way over here to ask Mm -hmm. us this stuff. But they were super, super helpful, and you know. Once you meet with them face-to-face, the communications afterwards, you know, by email went so much easier. Both of those groups were super helpful collaborators early on in getting my research efforts in the ED off the ground. And so this
1: was kind of like in the early 2000s, is is that right?
5: It was before 9-11. I think it was mid to late 1990.
1: Okay, Before that first paper came out in 98, so
5: it was before that first paper came out.
1: Okay. I believe it was like in the early 2000s is when we start to see the NFL kind of putting out a bunch of research that now, after all the, the controversy has been dissected, essentially a bunch of papers, like over a dozen papers that were put out on the topic. Like I mentioned, there weren't a whole lot of people really studying this at all. So were you kind of following these, these studies that came out from the NFL? And if so, at that time, like what what were your thoughts, if you remember?
5: I don't think I was following that at first.
3: Harv, we got a problem. There's something wrong with Sharp. Oh, brilliant deductions. you go to medical school for that? He's having trouble focusing because eye-hand coordination's is deteriorating. He's fucked up. They're all fucked up. The crazier they are, the more the crowd likes it. Harv, this isn't hey. professional wrestling. He needs an MRI. And You're not MRI here six months, Ollie. You're going to order a $20,000 workup for every nutcase on his team. Come yeah. on. He could have a subdural hematoma, intracranial bleeding. Or he could just be a crazy fucker, okay? <laughs> Listen. They all walk on that field every Sunday. They got only one thing, and one thing along going for them, their confidence. You start chipping away at that with a bunch of unnecessary testing, and we can just kiss the playoffs goodbye. Are you say that I can't do the tests on Shark?
5: I don't think I was following that at first. I remember that I wasn't. I remember a meeting in Sweden and- 2003, where I met with Mickey Collins, who was following this. You know, he's a neuropsychologist, at University of Pittsburgh, who was working with the NFL.
2: John Collins,
3: uh, first off, uh, just give me kind of the rundown of what's going on here. For the first time, an NFL team is collaborating with us at UPMC Sports Medicine to really share the facts about what we're learning about sports-related concussion.
5: Um, and I, re- I remember him telling me about athletes, and me telling him about ED patients. And I don't think it was on my radar screen early on. And I don't. I know when it came. I You know, I remember when it came on my radar screen, but I think it had less to do with the news than it did with my own research findings. Right. I really felt like it was kind of accidental because I was really hot on trying to develop a blood test for concussion, concussion because I thought that was really a practical value in an ED setting. Like, give me a blood test and I can figure this out. But I realized that if I have trouble telling who's got a concussion and who doesn't, then the blood test is only going to be as good as my ability to figure out clinically who's got a concussion and who doesn't. Sure. And and that's where I thought, okay, I need something a little more objective. And, you know, diffusion tensor imaging was this... MRI based modality it was just taking off at the time and it seemed looked it seemed pretty promising for detecting brain injury after concussion so I said okay great DTI I'm gonna I'm gonna develop that as my gold standard and now I'm gonna uh-huh. pretty much put the blood marker up against the DTI so I said oh I gotta back up I gotta, I gotta work on DTI a little bit first before I head in the biomarker direction and the first DTI study we did was with a high school football team in the Rochester area. And, and here's where I figured, okay, now I need to look at athletes because I want to be able to get a scan before and after concussion. So we enrolled like 10 football players. We scanned them. Only one of them got knocked out. And we scanned everybody again, right? I was kind of crestfallen. But 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 we fine, we did this study, 10 scans before and after. One person gets knocked out. So we look at the scans. The person that got knocked out, sure enough, we can see that there's stuff that looks like mild brain injury on the skin, but for the other guys that didn't get knocked out, we saw that there was injury on their scans too. And the injury kind of was roughly correlated to number of times these guys got hit during the season. And that was curious to me. That's what I said, whoa, 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 what's going on here? So that really, That really pulled me the direction of sports because now I thought, all right, wait a second. We have people that are getting hit in the head all the time, and you need to tell me that some of them actually result in brain injury, even though they're not getting concussed. That kind of was a light bulb moment for me, and I thought I I think this is something I need to chase down, and the only way to really pursue it was with athletes. So before the whole CTE story kind of blossomed, we had started to move in this
1: direction. I see. Uh, I'm just curious. Growing up, did you play sports? Was sports like a big part of your life ever, or you know, just peripherally? Well, I guess I ran track,
5: but you know, Mm -hmm. I I was pretty serious about it. I I think it was one of the things that helped get me into college, but I was not a you know I was not a standout collegiate athlete. So I wasn't like a football player, soccer player. I, I guess yeah. people
1: would not have pegged me as a sporty type. I'm more of a brain type person. I mean, <laughs> right. Sporty. Yeah, yeah. But like, even even in the context of uh, being a fan, or are you somebody that's like, you know, has to watch like a sport or a team, or you know, it's just something that you know maybe you keep up on to make conversation, kind of a thing. I'm
5: a lifelong New York Mets fan, uh, but. Okay. a high concussion sport. I don't I don't think if I think I know what you're trying to get at. I did not come at this from the perspective of a sport fan or sport participant. It really was from I mean, I don't want to sound
1: pretentious, but it was more from this research perspective. I just tried to follow the data. Right. Yeah. The reason I was kind of just trying to tease that out is maybe spend a few minutes on this this point of knowing who the researchers are of a study and kind of also, you know, where the the funding is coming from. Things that, you know, are kind of like in the fine print that is easy to kind of gloss over. And I think one of the, the recurring themes, especially, you know, as it relates to a bunch of The NFL studies that that were put out this idea that there are people that when they have a stake. In the outcome of a study, it just kind of gets in this like icky kind of a place where it's like we really have to take this with a grain of salt versus guys like Dr. Benedemalu, who had no idea who these Hall of Fame football player brain samples were, were coming into his lab. He was like just completely neutral and emotionless when it came to American football, what it meant as far as being in the culture of it. <laughs>
5: Amalu parked his car and walked into the office, and he said, "What's going on?" And one of his colleagues said, "It's Mike Webster. He's he's up in the in the autopsy room." And Amalu's response was, "Who's Mike Webster?"
0: And everybody looked at me like, "Where is he from? Is he from Altus? Well, Who is this guy who doesn't know Mike Webster in Pittsburgh?"
1: So just to to kind of highlight the fact that you know you really are one of the best kind of people in that way to to really be studying this from a very unbiased standpoint is that is that fair to say? I hope
5: so. I appreciate you drawing that analogy. I I, I I hope so. I mean I guess I gotta admit I do feel a, a little bit biased because although I'm not a huge sport fan, I do see there certainly is benefit to sports, especially in the United States, and I don't I'm not
3: sure mm-hmm. people like Malcolm Gladwell For starters, I'm a football fan, but recently I've become aware of how, like many people, of how morally problematic being a football fan has become. All of this stuff on potential neurological consequences of playing football has started to bubble up in the last couple of years. Bennett
5: Amalu, I believe he's
0: Nigerian. Nigerian, I think. I was born in Nigeria uh, during the Nigerian Piafran War. It was a civil war. Got into medical school at 15, became a physician at 21. This is heaven, directly below heaven is. And America was here. That's something
5: that I don't feel like we can so easily brush aside, that for many, for many Americans, context sports are more than just a game. They are a thing to keep them off the streets, get them into higher education, that they have a lot of potential positive benefits. And so I'm not so easily persuaded to just ditch these sports because they have a significant upside to them. I would like to see them Made as safe as possible, but I don't feel like it's quite so easy to just say, let's just eliminate them altogether.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think September is like Childhood Obesity Awareness Month or something like that.
2: September is National Childhood Obesity Awareness Month. And right now, you can help spread the word. More than 12.5 million children here in the U.S. are obese.
1: There's obviously, you know, huge public health implications to, to what's happening, you know, both from the childhood obesity side of Things, but also concussions, and you know, this now raised awareness. Words like epidemic are thrown around. I'm sure a lot of patients and, and parents, you know, ask you a lot of questions. What are some of the common questions that uh, that you hear in, in your clinic, just especially as you know, more and more media is being generated uh, regarding this in a very, very pervasive kind of way?
5: Yeah, I mean, I get questions like, um, should I let my son or daughter continue to play soccer, football, whatever it is? what would you do if this was your kid? Is there some special protective equipment that I, that I could buy that would help? And the, the hardest question to answer is, uh, you know, parents sometimes want to know, what is the risk of chronic traumatic encephalopathy in my child, given that they've had concussion number X? And, and, and many of these right. don't have good answers to them, but I get asked them anyway.
1: Right. So how do you approach that? You know, especially some of these, you know, more personal, like what would you do if you were, me kind of question. How do you answer yeah. those?
5: Well, what I try to say is that this is like a seesaw. There's a risk on one side and there's a benefit on the other side. And each parent has to decide what the benefit of the sport is to their child. So the benefit of the sport to my to my child, to Jeff Bezarian's child, will, may very well be different than the benefit to the parent sitting in front of me. So that's, that's something I can't really answer for them. I mean, I could tell them what I would do, but, but my kid is not in the same situation as their kid. I try to help them understand what the benefit of the sport would be to their child and for some of them it's pretty significant um, you know I've had some kids that um, have tried to, to hurt themselves or commit suicide because they were taken out of their sport and um, and others are relying on us for, for income you know people at the semi-pro level or college I mean for some people there's something there's something on the line for this others not so much so I try to help them figure that out for their child then I kind of tell them how the gray area of what the what the risk is. So the benefit's the easy part, the risk is the harder part. But I go through the data, you know, kind of tell them in, in a general way what we know about the risk of CTE from professional athletes. And I pretty much tell them it's, it's a pretty big gray zone. So it ends right. up being, it's a long discussion where I kind of tell them what I know, try to get an understanding of what their, what their values are, what they think the risk of the sport is to their kid. And it really ends up being a discussion. We usually come, it's really usually not too hard to come to some agreement and, and I think the. Families just kind of want to know what's out there, what they're looking at. They don't even, they don't need to know for sure. They just kind of want to know that they thought this through and that we have some safe plan for going forward.
1: Right. The documentary. The documentary. Who's the doc
2: that he told you to go see? Better than a What what are we doing? What what are we doing? Playing football? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, man. Playing football, y'all. Yo, it's the team. You need to let the medicine look at you, man. Dude, I'm all right, man. I'm fine. Shoot. Hey, I'm here. And I'm ready to do this, man. All right. What about you all, man? Do you want this? Yeah, yeah yeah. Do you want that? yeah, yeah. Do you want that? Yeah. Do you want that? Yeah. Do you want that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is ask, man. There's plenty of apple pie to go around. You want oh, some apple, apple pie, pie. Huh. you want some apple pie, brother? Come on, man. Who want a slice? Yo, exquisite tea! Ain't no apple pie, man. That's your helmet. Hey, 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 yeah. don't, 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 Maybe you should just sit out the next play. Sit out the next play? Yeah. Are you gonna sit out the next play? Huh? You going sit out the next play? I didn't think so. I don't need to sit out the next play. I'm We'll tell you why. Because all y'all. Cause I know y'all got my back. Y'all know what I see when I look at you. I'm gonna tell you what I see. Bro, man, yeah. who look like giants? Yeah, with really big shoulders. Yeah, who are wearing short pants? What? And this right there? A few seconds of complete darkness, and then I saw oh, some little floaty oh. specks of light in the air up like this. Exquisite team. Who is that? Is that cartoon Flurl talking to me? Yeah. Cartoon Flurl, where you at? I'm here, man. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. You have A brain injury. You need to get some medical attention. Hey, I'm gonna tell you right now, Cartoons Floor, who needs some medical attention is the Cougars over there right there, bro. We're playing the bruisers. Okay, Okay. listen, y'all. We need to remember who we are, okay? We're the team of destiny this year. We're the team everybody talking about. We're the team everybody afraid of, man. We gotta remember who we are. Who are we? (laughs) Rhino's. Who are we? Rhino! 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 Are we we the rhino? Yeah! Oh my God! Somebody stole our horns! We gotta find our horns, y'all! (laughs) Oh, (laughs) fuck.
0: to destroy me professionally, to knock me out. So I responded. (laughs) I was born in Nigeria um, during the Nigerian Biafran War. It was a civil war. Got into medical school at 15. Became a physician at 21. This is heaven. Directly below heaven is. And America was here.
2: What are you looking for?
0: My God. When I published this paper, all that I was idealistic because I thought I uncovered a truth. I was at the top of my game. You're going to war with a corporation that owns a day of the week. NFL doctors had filed a complaint against me that I was not practicing science, that I was fraudulent. Drop it, or they'll be doing your autopsy, Mr. Omalu. Dr. Omalu. They went for the juggler.
4: Do you understand the impact of what you are doing?
0: And there was this great resolve reaction within me to stand firm. Sir, I am not done. Tell the truth. This was never about me. It was about the players who suffered from this. And I believe that when you do something in truth, out of love, you step out into the light. And looking at where we are today, not me, but the truth, has prevailed. These are the stories of people that against all odds became champions of humanity.
3: There are no boundaries.
0: The few helping the many.
1: the NFL season has kind of just kicked off. What are you able to say just as far as your state of the union right now, as far as concussions, how the science has kind of evolved, things that you're excited about, whether it's projects that you're working on in your lab or things that are in the concussion science community that you think are promising? Yeah, sure. I think we're
5: getting, we're getting closer to having some things, some objective tests to help us figure out who's had a concussion or not. Some of them will be be blood-based that maybe will involve like a finger stick. Some of them may involve something that looks like a uh, brainwave, like a like a portable EEG. Put a little rubber band around your head and it hooks up to your iPhone, and in about five minutes it tells you whether your brainwave activity is more similar to a concussed person or a normal person. Now, those kind of things would be super helpful to have on the sideline of a game or on the battlefield or even in, in the ED, so those are, I think they're, they're close. We are inching closer to having some objective uh, tests for this. I also think that you probably see more and more sensors being used. Helmet sensors, collision sensors, so we can get a better idea of how often athletes are being exposed to these hits and um, you need to start measuring it, you know, figuring out how much is too
1: much. Right. At one point, I don't know, this project is still going on. I feel like you're still doing some work with the diffusion tensor imaging. Is that project initially, was that funded, at least in part, by a grant from the NFL?
5: Yeah, it was. It was the NFL Charities, which was right before the NFL head challenges took off. The NFL Charities gave out grants. So yes, that study was funded. And you know, the NFL was pretty supportive to me in that regard. They really got that research started, and they did not interfere one iota. You know, they Gave me a check and stood right out of the way, and I have to give them credit for that.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. What was that process like in you know trying to to get that that uh, early grant from the NFL?
5: It was remarkably simple. I mean, it was in 2007 or I can't remember when it was, but it was it was yeah. remarkably simple. It was a proposal, um, it was reviewed, and really seamless I mean they dispersed the money easily they, they wanted they wanted an update on how things were going they wanted copies of manuscripts but they, they never had a requirement to look them over. They just kind of wanted to have them for their records. Um, you know, they wanted us to acknowledge NFL charities and the, the studies, which we were happy to do. But the process was, I thought, remarkably uh, void of, of interference. Now, I never did get Head Health Challenge grants, and so I can't speak to how those were administered. But the NFL charities grant was certainly less. Full of red tape that NIH grants. Let's put it that way.
1: Gotcha. Well, yeah, that's that's definitely a piece of encouraging news. Um, hopefully, that that's still.
5: Yeah, and you know, and it, and it wasn't the results. Like I said, were kind of showed that head hits resulted in brain injury, whether they caused concussion or not. So that's not a very favorable thing I mean, for the NFL to have to hear. But they sponsored it, and now maybe 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 that has something to do with why I never got any grants after that from them. But. <laughs> <laughs> part being facetious, part speculation. But...
4: Right. A documentary. A documentary. Who's
2: the doc that he told you to go see? Da, da, da,
0: yeah. 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 Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Alright, cool. I'm, uh... I'm mixing some uh... medicine. <laughs> no, nah,
4: that's that's, that's the, the, the remixed of medicine. I'm, I poured it in a big bucket right now, and I'm mixing it with a whisk. So uh, if I die,
1: it's very important that you remember what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and just scale, and just scale it back just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I it extra extra strength. So you just want to go one extra, and you should be all right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, dude. Today was uh, it was it was a a, a brutal one. Let me call you right back. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, <clears throat> it's hard to predict this kind of thing, but what I can say is that the wrong kind of hit. Uh, could result in paralysis, seizures, even sudden death. <laughs> what else is new? In my opinion, he is not medically
1: fit to play. Right now, I need one sack and three more tackles. and I get my bonus?
2: Then we'll talk, okay, motherfucker?
0: Come on, Luther. Have
2: you ever seen an old punch-drunk boxer stumbling around drooling? with no memory of what he's done in his life. You want that life, Luther? Coach,
3: you need me against Texas, don't you?
2: Don't you? Of course I need you against Texas, but not, not, not at this price, no. For a million dollars, I would shake like a coconut on a tree if I got to.
0: Coach, I gave you 13 years, you can give me one. Football's my life, coach. It's my life. That's all I gotta do. Please, man. Come on, coach,
2: please. You have to sign a waiver shark. <laughs> Bring
1: it on, man. Bring it on. When you explain to your patients what a concussion is, like how do you explain that to them in in a way that they're able to visualize or imagine?
5: Yeah, I tell them it's it's the bobblehead phenomenon. And they go, what? I go, you know, you see those bobbleheads? Those bobbleheads where the head kind of bounces around. That's the problem for the brain is the brain is stuck inside of the skull. It's heavy and it's attached to the neck, which is really thin and weak. And so when the head gets hit, it kind of flops around, you know, on top of the neck. And it's that rotation. It's that head rotation. On the neck. That's the problem for the brain. And you'd have to figure out a way to eliminate head rotation. I think to prevent concussion. Right. Rotation that causes those big spaghetti-like neurons to stretch. And mm-hmm. there's really, there's really no way to do that. The only, the only, the only sport where they have figured out how to do that is auto racing. You know, where they have this thing called the Honda. Right. Race. You ever heard of that? Yeah. You know, the, the helmet is essentially like tethered to this board behind the driver, and the driver's. In Entire torso is pinned to the board, so their torso and their head are like all affixed to this board. So there's no, there's really no room for head rotation. But you know, you can't do that for sports where people are standing up and running around.
1: Exactly. It's interesting because like first week they debuted. I think the name of the helmet is the Zero One. If you compare the innovation in the automotive industry with innovation in football helmets, we're way behind. They're basically like cars from the 70s: a hard shell, padding on the inside. Good luck. They did mention in some of the things that I was reading that they really tried to borrow a lot from you know, the auto racing world.
4: What's different with this helmet, it allows protection against straight impacts. So you have the compression and buckling of these these members. And also the structure here is also flexible in the rotation direction. So if you get a glancing blow, the helmet will deflect in the rotational sense. It's a layer design and, and the, each layer acts with each other, the interplay between the layers, and to optimize that interplay has been a major challenge.
1: But, you know, just like you said, with the way that the game is played, the design, although may reduce some of those forces, I don't know that you can ever really prevent a concussion, but I I only mention this because I feel like it's one of those things that's so easily visible, so I feel like spending money on something like that, you know, from a business standpoint, the NFL seems like they're really taking strides to make the game safer. These helmets are apparently something like $1,500 or something, you know, per helmet. And I imagine their goal is to drive down the cost as, as they're able to scale this. Vices
4: won half a million dollars as part of the NFL's Head Health Challenge with General Electric and Under Armour. Vices is careful to say that no helmet, including its own, can prevent concussions. In fact, experts don't fully understand if there's any way to prevent concussions, period.
2: The
5: best treatment for concussions prevention. Linemen in football who have sub-concussive blows, they get hit on every play. Is it possible that their brains are being injured, not big injuries once, but multiple injuries every play? Now, will improved technology partially prevent? One can only hope so.
3: But uh, that's necessary, but not sufficient. Currently, helmets are assessed based on their ability to reduce impact forces. Our job is to create a helmet that mitigates those impact forces more effectively than others. How that translates to concussion risk, we don't know. Right now, we can demonstrate and prove that we can reduce impact forces, and we can do that better than any helmet on the market. What
1: would you say is like maybe the one or two things that have helped as we've been studying this over the past decade that have made the game safer, in your opinion.
5: Moving the players closer together on kickoff so that they're not running at each other across 100 yards, it's having Guskiewicz is a brilliant idea.
3: They changed the kickoff in part because of our data suggesting the kickoffs were the most dangerous play in football. They moved the kickoff line from the 30-yard line up to the 35-yard line, and in that season, we saw a 33% increase in the number of touchbacks. So kickoffs that were not returned, and so there weren't these vicious collisions occurring. They also moved the running line up 5 yards to minimize the physics of those collisions. So with those two modifications, we actually reduced the number of concussions on the kickoff that year by 42%.
5: Trying to enforce not tackling with your head is also a, makes a lot of sense to me. But I think perhaps the biggest thing, I guess this is more at the college level than it is at the NFL level, Mm -hmm. is limiting the number of contact practices. If you think about these head hits that don't result in concussion, is kind of think of them like radiation. You know, we're trying to reduce Mm -hmm. the overall exposure. And I think that that may be a really good idea. Even if you just cut out one day of contact practice, players get hit 60, 70 times in a practice. And over the course, of a lifetime. Just getting rid of one contact practice a week could add
3: up. Recently, I've become aware of how, like many people, of how morally problematic being a football fan has become. All of this stuff on potential neurological consequences of playing football has started to bubble up in the last couple of years. And that adds to a whole series of other concerns that have been around for much longer, which is that playing football at an elite level in college or at the pro the pro level has all kinds of long-term health consequences. We know from doing long-term epidemiological studies that there's a rate of injury, a rate of disability, a rate of early death, all these kinds of things that are associated with both the massive weight gain and also the consequences of banging into each other on the field over and over again. Added to that now, There is all of this powerfully suggestive evidence that some portion of football players are going to come down with a serious degenerative neurological disorder known as CTE, which is directly the consequence of being hit in the head repeatedly over the course of playing football and at a certain point you have to ask yourself as a fan or as anyone who is in any way connected to football uh, is it appropriate in the modern day and age for us to support and participate in a game that has such a serious risk of physical harm to its players i did a piece for the new yorker a couple years ago where i said this was at the time when Michael Vick was convicted of dogfighting, And the whole world got up in arms about this. How could he use dogs in a violent manner in a way that compromised their health and integrity? And I was just struck at the time by the unbelievable hypocrisy of people in football, for goodness sake, getting up in arms about someone who would who chose to fight dogs to put pit one dog against each other. In what way is dog fighting any different from football on a certain level, right? I mean, you take a young, vulnerable dog who was made vulnerable because of his allegiance to the owner and you ask him to engage in serious, sustained physical combat with another dog under the control of another owner right? Well, what's football? We take young take young boys, essentially, and we have them repeatedly over the course of the season smash each other in the head, right? With known neurological consequences. And why do they do that? Out of an allegiance to their owners and their coaches and a feeling they're participating in some grand American spectacle. They're the same thing. And the idea that as a culture, we would be absolutely quick and sure about coming to the moral boiling point over the notion that you would do this to dogs and yet completely blind over the notion you would do this to young men is to my mind astonishing there's a certain point where i just said you know we have to say enough is enough
1: just to get an idea what what's your schedule like these days like how do you split your time between you know seeing patients and doing research and spending time with your family and fitting in things like podcasts and interviews and Reddit AMAs. I saw that too. Maybe we'll get to that in a second. But uh, yeah, how do you split things up? How do you do everything?
5: I I feel like I have a pretty good life. I see patients one day a week um, and Mm -hmm. then I was going to say the other four days, but let's be honest. The other six days, I'm doing research. So I I have um, a research manager and uh, a coordinator and two students. So they're here every day. Um, So the rest of my Time is doing research-related things, and that could mean you know actually enrolling patients, or organizing data, analyzing data, writing it up, you know doing things, writing grants, doing things to keep the research operation going going forward. So I feel like it's a good mix because you can never Mm -hmm. lose that patient contact, um, but if you have too much of it, the research momentum really goes down. So momentum is everything when it comes to doing research because they got to compete with with people all over the world, right? So you got to keep the momentum going. So for me, this is a good balance of of what I got going. My family, you know, I'm I'm an empty nester now, but you know, I, I see my wife every night, we cook dinner together and then she, paints and I get on my laptop and answer 200 emails that I've missed during the course of the day. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. You know, I, in kind of Google stalking you in in preparation for this, I saw this Reddit AMA that you did uh, a few years ago. How did that come about? I thought that was uh, awesome. And there was over like 500 comments. So many people were engaged in that. A lot of great discussion threads that I saw. So yeah, how did that come about?
5: Well, I have to give credit to Emily Boynton, who is one of our PR folks here she came here from southern california so she was really plugged into the social media scene and so she worked right away to kind of get me on reddit she worked her magic somehow and it was a lot of fun uh i got i gotta be honest it was totally an totally alien way to to kind of interact with people but it was pretty it was pretty cool and i had a good time a good time doing it i enjoyed seeing the comments and i kind of liked this way of interacting with Folks who don't usually get a chance to interact with me, right, unless they show up at a conference. I thought it was really pretty cool. So if you get a chance to do
1: it, by all means do it. Absolutely. You know, I'm really patiently waiting and excited to see some of these social media tools being, you know, really embraced and implemented um, in healthcare and in medicine for this reason, for the ability to essentially scale yourself and your expertise that otherwise would be unaccessible unless, like you said, they were to meet you at a conference or in the clinic or things like that. And even for the people that are able to meet you in that way, there's only so deep that you can get only so much time that that you can offer so I really think that there's so much potential to help people and, and educate people and raise awareness about the things that are happening what's good and bad science and so really really appreciate you being involved are you pretty up on social media or is it kind of just like you use it when you have to kind of thing
5: somewhere in between i I think i'm a little bit of a geek i'm totally drawn to these electronic devices and social stuff and i realize this is like a huge distraction but on the other hand i realize it is such a cool way to be in contact with the larger population so i'm really conflicted about it because i have a friend at ucla not not the guy i talked about but another guy who has a twitter account and he tweets when he's a comp I mean, he's a researcher like me and he tweets and he's like, he spends a lot of time that I wish that I had, but he does it to keep his following, you know, involved in his work and what he does.
1: You know, what we're seeing now in the world of pharmaceuticals as far as trying to capitalize on, you know, a real problem, an epidemic in the public health world, the business of fighting opioid addiction and things like that.
0: The vast majority of people who try to quit without assistance end up relapsing. That's where using medications comes in. It was really important to me that whatever I took was non-narcotic, that it didn't make me feel high. Have you decided if you wanted to try something else, maybe the
3: Vivitrol is a once-monthly prescription injectable medicine used to prevent relapse to opioid dependence after opioid detox.
1: The analogy in the concussion world is like all of the business surrounding this very obvious problem. I've seen, you know, anywhere from just apps Claiming that they can diagnose a concussion at the sidelines very accurately, to people claiming that certain brands of chocolate milk—I don't know if you've, uh, did, did you did—you no. hear what? Oh yeah, I read something within the past year. This company claiming that their chocolate milk, Fifth Quarter
2: Fresh, a new high-protein chocolate milk, helped high school football players improve their cognitive and motor function over the course of a season even after experiencing concussion
1: of course there was no evidence or good science to support their claims but you know i'm just curious with the patients that you're seeing in in the concussion clinic what the the best or worse, things that you've heard as far as like different products that people are are pushing out there to kind of capitalize on how big of a brand concussions have become.
5: Uh, hmm. There's always the parent that wants to know if mouth guards prevent concussions, and they there have been several studies to show that they don't. But still, that doesn't prevent people from trying to market them. Um, I did I did have one patient come to me with a with this thing that looked like a like a shower cap, except it was. Mm-hmm like an ice pack. And she was told that if she gets a concussion, to put it on her head. Oh, God. You know what it looked like? It looked like those helmets of wrestlers, those foam helmets that wrestlers wear. Oh, yeah. It was 100% an ice pack. So I think they were trying to borrow from the hypothermia literature when someone has a severe traumatic brain injury they cool them and stuff like that. But but this was yeah. supposed to help with concussion. And you know, apparently it gave her a wicked headache.
1: <laughs> because it's I don't know if it's as crazy as chocolate milk. milk. Yeah, I know, that's definitely the craziest one that I've I've heard, but you know, it's just a uh, age old marketing and media tactic to go after what people are afraid of and especially I think post Will Smith concussion movie this has really been like a household topic
4: do you understand the impact of what you are doing if just 10 percent of the mothers in america decide that football is too dangerous for their sons to play that is it it is the end of football kids colleges and eventually it's just a matter of time the professional game Joe.
2: He does autopsies, he's not in the outcome business. He has no business. You know what history does to people? Trained physicians who ignore science. Oh, wow. Sir, I am not done. History laughs. If you continue to deny my work, the world will deny my work. But men, your men, Continue to die. Their families left in ruins. Tell the truth. Tell the truth.
5: What suggestions would you have for someone like me to stay connected?
1: kind of depending on what you think that you're good at. Some people really are good in front of a camera. Some people take really good pictures. Some people are good writers. So kind of whatever you're able to do best and in, in the most efficient way with the schedule that you have. I think, you know, that's definitely the place to start. But I guess there's a little plug for Anchor. You know, one thing that I, I really think that is emerging now is the rise of voice and audio and people realizing that there's this really kind of forgotten form of entertainment and information that's really kind of like the oldest form. People having conversations, people talking. So to be able to have a platform where you can create content just as easily as you consume it. I think there's a tremendous amount of potential to kind of just do what we're doing, and we could have just as easily have done this on my commute, right. where you can fit in the time. I just remember, I'll never forget the first time meeting you, actually. I don't know if you remember this, but you're so busy and you're still so busy. You could have just as easily told me, I'm too busy, you know, I can't really meet with you, but I just remember this snowy day in Rochester. You called me and you were like, I'm on my way to clinic, I'm in my car, I'm gonna come up to the front of the medical school and we could just chat in my car for a few minutes and uh, you know I'll be on my way and i just thought that was so cool that you were able to kind of fit me in and you know squeeze that extra bit of value out of the day so my point being that I, I think there's definitely enough time in a day to kind of do some of these things especially with the way that technology has has really afforded us these tools to be able to capture our experience or our expertise or any of those things so i, I definitely think having a podcast or something like that is a lot easier now than it once was. So for people that are super busy, I think audio is a lot easier than people think. So yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
5: that totally resonates with me because things that I, that can get into my brain without having to go through my eyes, I feel like I'm much more likely to avail myself of because you know we're in front of our computers so often. that if I could do something where I don't need to engage my eyes, like when I'm on the treadmill, when I'm going for a walk in the woods, when I'm mm-hmm, driving, mm-hmm. The audio has a lot yeah. of appeal for those reasons. I totally, I think you're onto something.
1: Okay, I appreciate that.
5: I just got onto the anchor site now. I'll sign up and hear listen to others stuff. I
0: can't wait.
3: Beep Boop Beep. I must say, I am quite fond of your Station Medicine Remix. Darling listeners out there would be wise to tune in. Only here on Anchor. Beep Boop Beep.
1: the themes that we talk about a bunch on our show Medicine Remix and really what this project has been about kind of from from the beginning actually the very early inceptions of what we're trying to do now and what it's evolved into kind of started that year that I was doing my public health thesis with you and just seeing or maybe noticing more than I was before how much Topics related to health and medicine are being covered in the media.
5: The, the website that you helped create when you were here is still in existence. It's warped. I mean, its name has changed, but it's pretty much. Goal well, has not changed. I mean, you really, it's a Facebook page, and but many patients end up finding their way there as a kind of, it's a news related to concussions.
1: I remember when that started, it was during that course that we're required to take during our final year okay. in, in medical school. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, the community health internship. You know, the, the way that it worked was that this is your last year of med school. You kind of just want to pick something easy and and do it. And most people in that fashion would wind up jumping onto a project that had some legacy and very clear objectives and things like that. Very few people wanted to do their own thing. But, you know, I had just come off from all of my public health coursework and I was really hot on this uh, concussion topic and none of the available projects really was something that I was very excited about. So this was very simple. I didn't really have any expectations for it, but it was almost just DJing content, like curating the the best and most interesting articles and media and have people that are interested in boards. A lot of times it wound up being like the students going into uh, orthopedic surgery or emergency medicine or specialties like that. Is that still kind of how it runs? Like as far as the people that are maintaining it or is it kind of taking um, a different form as far as you're aware, as far as how that particular Facebook page is being run?
5: It's totally what you had started it out to be, which was like a clearinghouse for concussion-related news. We did add to it. We, what we tried to do is make it a little more personal. Like, we'd say, oh, by the way, here's what we're doing, you know, in the Bazzarian Lab this week. So-and-so presented a poster at this conference, and here she is in front of her poster, or you know, we started... Yeah, I love that. Our, ...our football players this week, doing impact testing. Hey, man, look, look at this. We're doing research. We're in the trenches. And so, like, it was national news as well as what's happening in Rochester a little bit.
1: I'm so glad hear that definitely proud uh, to see that it, it's still kicking and, and really really appreciate that yeah definitely a topic that is on top of a lot of people's minds especially in the sports world and for parents and so many people in so many different contexts so I really appreciate your time I think uh, we're definitely going to have a great response from the listeners I hope you had a good time doing it I had a blast a lot of fun. I'm
5: honored keep up the
1: good work this is good stuff we'll definitely do a round two soon uh-huh. thank you so much Alright, be good. You too. Bye. Okay, take care. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc
2: that he told you to go see?
1: Your name
4: and number will get back to you. Medicine remixed on no
2: other place but here on Anchor. Medicine Remixed. It's Brian over here at My Mental Download. And I am just I, I had to give you a shout out because this documentary on concussion is just so timely and informative. I just Mind blown. Thanks, guys. You know, there's two things that I just, I'm not into rap music and doctors. Well, that's before I found Medicine Remix. Yeah. Somebody call me doctor. Somebody give me a shot. <laughs> You gotta check out Medicine Remix, it's dope. Love being on some chill shit. Hype as fuck right now. That segment was the jam. (laughs) Thank you so much for this segment. This shit is mad lit. (laughs) Medicine Remix. This story was very, very funny for me.
1: Love the work that you guys are doing and the content sounds amazing. I love
2: you guys. You guys are awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I just wanted to say thanks for being willing to be really real and honest have so much appreciation for the idea that you are willing to use your influence to not only highlight other artists who have tried to do something good, but are are using your space to to talk about something real. It's uh, helping me a lot.
4: I was having a super shitty night, and
2: well, you guys made it better. Thanks.
4: Keep keeping it real. We love it. Love it. Love it.
0: Love it. Yeah, we do.
2: Medicine remixed. Medicine remixed. Much love, Med remix. Thank you for listening.
4: You're listening to Medicine remixed only on Anchor. <laughs>
1: documentary documentary who's
2: the doc that he told you to go see <laughs> <laughs>